Well, hello, hello, good morning. It's great to see everyone in a good mood, full of energy. Uh, I hope you keep the energy as I'm, as I'm preaching as well. <laughs> but uh, today we'll be looking at Peter's encounter with uh, Jesus after his resurrection, as recorded in the, the Gospel of John in chapter 21. But let me first say that some speakers are really good at telling stories. Some speakers are genuinely funny. Well, I'm neither, but I'm good with numbers. Good with numbers, anyone? Yeah, very good. A lot of you are excited about that, so I promise you that we'll be, we'll be doing some numbers today. As we say, we're back to school tomorrow, so let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. But uh, as, as we start to talk about this, this topic of encountering with Jesus, it's actually going to be a series of encounters that we'll be looking at together over the, over the next few months. What do we mean when we say that we encounter Jesus? What, what does it mean that, that again, how would you explain that, this concept of encountering Jesus? And obviously, we are the encounter church, so it's something that's really important to us. So it's something that all of us here, as part, that are part of encounter church, should be thinking about more and more and trying to understand in a, in a greater way. But I'll, I'll give you just a few moments. How would you explain what this encountering Jesus means? Okay, if someone was to come to our church for the first time asking, why are we called Encounter Church? And what, what is this encountering Jesus about? What would you, what would you say? Now, Obviously, if I was to ask you to, to, to say some answers, we would be getting a lot of good answers, I'm sure. But there's, this concept is quite, it's quite a large concept. There's a lot of good answers that, that we, could, we could say um, in, in response to this question. But at its core, encountering with Jesus is simply about meeting Jesus, but it's a meeting that has some positive impact on our lives. Because during his lifetime, many people, and even now, they meet with Jesus, but it has no effect on their, on their day-to-day life. It has no effect on what was going on with them. So when we talk about encountering with Jesus, we mean there's a, it's a meeting with Jesus, hearing his voice, coming into his presence in a way that has some positive effect on, on our lives, on, on what we do, on, on who we are. So again, it's something that as a church we're going to be exploring more and more and, and helping people with it, to encounter Jesus. But we're going to read uh, John chapter 21. We'll be reading most of the chapter. But as we read, I want you to be paying attention to any numbers that, that John records there. Again, numbers are important to us, aren't they? So we talk about the cup course. And it's all about numbers. So let's focus as we read. Try to pick up on any numbers that are mentioned. So this is John 21 from verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We are coming with you, they told him, and they went out and got into the boat. 
But that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the nets on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though they were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave, it, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus, Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second, a second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Amen. So that's the passage that we'll be uh, looking at. And our first point is going to be short but important. In the first verse, it says that this wasn't the first encounter with the, that Jesus had with his disciple after he was raised, but that he revealed himself again to them. Now, how many times did Jesus reveal, to the, reveal himself to the disciples now? Three times. Very good. It's a good start. Everyone's paying attention. I like it. So this was the third time that 
that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. And as I was reading this, just this, this word again stuck out to me. It's this word that Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples. They've already had encounters with Jesus before, but he, reveals them, he revealed himself again to them. And again, you might have encounters, you might have had encounters with Jesus in the past, but it's important that you encounter Jesus again. Okay, it just really stuck out to me, just do this word again and again. And you might have noticed that on our mission statement, uh, it's the, all the verbs are written in the progressive verbs. It's not encounter Jesus, but it says encountering Jesus, raising disciples, releasing missionaries. And this was done intentionally on, on purpose to indicate the ongoing nature of, of, of this concept of encountering Jesus. We, we're never going to have enough of encountering Jesus. You can't have too many encounters with Jesus. This is ongoing concept. It's, a, it's something that we want to pursue again and again. We want to meet with Jesus. And so again, after this third encounter that Peter had with Jesus, he continued to have more encounters. It's, again, it's recorded in, in the New Testament. So we want to be intentional about meaningful interactions with, with Jesus again and again. It's great what happened in the past, but we're looking forward to, to more encounters with Jesus in our personal lives. Uh, next, in verse 4, we find a concept that has always challenged me. Because it says that Jesus stood there on the shore, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And we see this all throughout the, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, that God revealed himself, but people did not realize it. Yeah, I, I like the way Jacob put it the best. He, he had an encounter with God at, at Bethel, and then he says uh, this. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And Jesus was so close to the disciples, yet they did not know it. They didn't realize it. Now, how often does that happen to us? How often Jesus is right there, so close to us, just a just, just few meters away, but we are not aware of his, of his presence. We're not aware that it, it is Jesus speaking to us, doing something in our, in our lives. And can this, I've, I've always found this challenging, the fact that God doesn't always show up with a big firework display behind him, and he often just shows up riding on the lowly donkey. He, he doesn't always show up in the way that we expect. And we need to be aware that, that God is around us, that he wants to meet with us and, and discern his presence around us. Um, yeah, it takes some effort on our side to discern that, that when Jesus is drawing near to us. There is a line in one of the worship songs that we sing uh, that says, let us become more aware of your presence. Uh, I've always really liked that. Let us become more aware of your presence. Um, the disciples had already two encounters with the resurrected Jesus, yet they didn't recognize him this time. 
And it doesn't matter how long or short you've been following Jesus. And he's always doing something new. This time, he might want to encounter you in a different way from the past. And so maybe, maybe sometimes we are looking for an old encounter, the way we are used to it, and we can miss the new thing that Jesus wants to do in our lives. Or maybe we are just busy and tired like the disciples fishing. Or maybe like Mary Magdalene in in the previous chapter, in John chapter 20, we might be overcome with grief or other emotions and mistaken Jesus for the gardener. Again, whatever the reason might be, let us try to be more aware of his presence. I always find this challenging, but we can be intentional. We can put some effort in discerning when Jesus is trying to draw near to us. Now, in the end, it was John, the disciple Jesus loved, that figured it all out and told Peter that this was Jesus. Now, don't you find it annoying when you are around these really spiritual people that always seem to encounter God so easily? They can just hear God's voice so clearly, but you've got no clue what's, what's going on. It's quite annoying sometimes, isn't it? But... Actually, um, if they always, if these spiritual people always seemingly just encounter God for themselves, they might not be as spiritual after all. Because real spiritual people help others encounter and recognize Jesus. They don't just encounter God for themselves, they help others, just like John. He didn't recognize Jesus and kept it for himself. No, he shared it with Peter. He helped Peter to have this encounter with, with Jesus. And here, we are not called encounter persons. We are called the encounter church. Again, we are, we are here to help each other encounter Jesus. And we have that responsibility, each one of us, again, to help one another know Jesus more, to hear his voice better, to, to understand who he is and what he is doing. And so... Um, each one of us should be using our different strengths and talents to help each, each other. So that instead of being annoying to each other, we can actually help one another. Now, Peter maybe wasn't as spiritual as John was, but he was definitely passionate about Jesus. And it's something you can just... just See as you're reading that you can just feel the passion that Peter had for Jesus. And as soon as he recognized Jesus, he just plunged himself into the water. He jumped straight in. He couldn't wait. It says the the boat wasn't that far from the shore, but Peter just couldn't wait. He had to swim. He had to swim to get to Jesus quickly. He just wanted to be with Jesus as we as we sang this this morning. But being spiritual or religious can make you look quite respectable sometimes. But having passion for Jesus often means that you look quite stupid. And just, just think about, think, picture this scene. You've got Jesus there sitting on the shore, disciples around him, and there's Peter. He's soaking wet, shivering in cold. It's early morning. He's trying to dry himself there by, by the fire. And gets, it just looks a bit silly. I mean, he couldn't just wait and get, get, get to Jesus on the boat with everyone else. No, he couldn't because of the passion that he had for Jesus. And I want to be more like Peter. 
even if it means that sometimes I look, I look stupid, I want to be passionate for Jesus. And maybe I'll never be as spiritual as, as John was, but I can, I can be passionate about Jesus. Again, if, if there is anything to get passionate about in life, surely it is, it is Jesus that, that, that we should be passionate about. And that's, that's a big lesson we can learn from Peter and others. Okay, I want to be like David, who didn't mind his social position in life, but he, but he passionately danced before the Lord, even though his wife thought that he looked stupid. And let's, let's, let's be passionate about Jesus. And one thing that I found out that the Holy Spirit is extremely passionate about anything to do with Jesus. So we can ask him to release some of that passion into, into our lives. Now, um, I said that Peter jumped into the water straight away as when he recognized Jesus, but it's not entirely the case. John records that Peter actually first put on his robe because he wasn't wearing many clothes during fishing. And we said that Peter didn't mind looking stupid and he wanted to get to Jesus really quickly. So why did he put on the robe that would waste the time, would make it harder for him to, to swim to, to Jesus? Why did Peter do that? It's clearly out of respect and honor for Jesus. Peter wasn't, to, wasn't going to meet his mate. He was going to meet the Lord Jesus. I think there's an important lesson that we can learn here about encountering Jesus. That, well, firstly, unlike other religions, we, we don't need to perform any rituals or uh, outward displays of, of piety to earn access into God's presence. We know that God looks at the heart, not, not the outward man. God looks at what, what's inside of our heart. But there's a concept that Jesus taught that what is inside of our hearts actually comes out or should come out in, into our actions. It displays, it displays itself in what we do and say. And, and so maybe there, is, there are outward ways how we can show the, the respect and honor that we have for, for Jesus. And for Peter, which is the, simply just putting on the, the, the robe just to show some respect for Jesus. And maybe it is the way we, we dress. Maybe that, that is how we can show honor for Jesus. Or it could be something entirely different. It could be, it could be our finance. It could be something, something that we watch or don't watch. Again, it, it could be about our attention or posture in worship. There are outward ways that we can show honor to Jesus. Now, the good thing is that we don't all have to dress the same. We don't all have to give the same. We don't all have to worship the same. As we said, unlike other religions, there's no prescription in the Bible. This is how to do that. But if we want to honor God, if there is there are outward ways how we can display that honor. There's, there's outward ways how we can show respect for, for Jesus, to, to say that he, he is the Lord. He's not, not just our friend, even though he is, but that we honor him, respect who he is, just like Peter did. Again, even if it means that we're a little bit slowly in get it, getting into his presence, it is important to show honor and respect for Jesus. Again, so we should, fr we should be freely able to display our honor for Jesus in a way that's authentic, 
to us. Again, for Peter, it was simply just taking the trouble of putting on his robe properly. Now, here comes the highlight. We finally get to our maths questions that you are all waiting for. How many large fish did the disciples catch? 153. Very good. Impressed here. Everyone's paying attention. 153 fish. It was exactly 153 fish. And 153, you might know, is a special number because it's a triangular number. <laughs> Did it promise you some maths? Now, interestingly enough, there's, there's not many large, specific large numbers in the New Testament, but almost all of them are triangular numbers. One of them being 666, but we'll leave that for, for another time. <laughs> Now, 153 is a triangle of the number 17, which just means that if you add up numbers from 1 to 17, so 1 plus 2 plus 3, all the way to 17, you end up with 153. And these triangle numbers, they were well known in the ancient world because the way, the way they understood numbers was much more physical. They used to count with objects. In our world, maths numbers are very abstract concepts. We've got negative numbers and zeros and all of that. They didn't have that. They just had objects. They could arrange nicely, and they could make these triangles So from, from these objects. And so this 153 was known to be a triangular number of 17. Now, what, what is this? What, where is this 153 being triangle of 17 got to do with, with anything here? Well, before we explain that, we first need to go to Ezekiel chapter 47. In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel is having a vision there of a living water flowing out of the temple and turning the Dead Sea back to life so that it will be full of fish again. And, and then we read in Ezekiel 47 verse 10 this, Fishermen will stand beside the river from En Gedi to En Eglime. These will become places where nets are spread out to dry, their fish will consist of many different kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, we know that Jesus uh, himself claimed to be the source of the living water. The, the, Jesus, the, the living water actually comes out from, from the work or who Jesus is and what he is, what he is done. And the concept of sea, when being talked about metaphorically in the Bible always refers to the rebellious nations of the, of the earth. That's why, for example, in, in the book of Revelation, at the very end where it talks about the new heaven and new earth, it says there will be no more sea. It's not that God doesn't like water, a lot of salty water. It's because there will be no more rebellious nations in the earth. Every nation and tribe will now become part of God's family. So this concept of sea always represents nations that are rebellious to, to God in the Bible. And it's, it's a very well-known concept. And um, so this, and this is exactly... Um, so one second, I've lost myself here. It's very important we do this in, in order. Um, so this is this concept that I've just talked about, the new heaven and new earth. That's exactly what Ezekiel sees in his vision. The living water 
flowing out and transforming the nations of the earth so that the fishermen will be able to bring them into God's kingdom. But where is the 1,753, you might ask again? How, where is this number? Now, in Hebrew, every letter has, is also a number. And the word gedi equals to 17, and the word eglime equals to 153, and just means a spring. And this is the only place in the Old Testament that talks about fishers of men, and we see these same numbers. Now, it might just be a coincidence, or it might be a subtle way of, of Jesus pointing out that because of his death and resurrection, now is the time to fulfill the, this, this Ezekiel's vision, and Peter and the disciples are going to become a part of that. Now, Matthew records that soon after this encounter, Jesus commissions them to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus is saying, now is the time for this vision to be fulfilled, that, that living water is flowing out into the whole world. Now, of course, a few days or weeks later on the day of Pentecost, people from 17 different regions responded to people's preaching on the day of Pentecost and, and started following Jesus. And later, Peter goes to Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea and welcomes first Gentiles into the family of God. And look at us, look at us here. We are from so many different nations and, and tribes. I think Jesus was right. He is the living water, and he is bringing life into the, to the nations of, of the whole world. And so what, what, can we, what can we learn from this, this miracle sketch of 153 fish? Maybe that when we encounter Jesus, he might want to remind us of what his plans and purposes are and our part in it. Um, again, maybe... Meeting with Jesus isn't just for our benefits. Maybe when we encounter him, it's, it's about preparing us for the work of the kingdom. And back to our point from earlier, it also teaches us to be open to God speaking to us in different ways. You might not like God speaking to you through maths and fish, but it's not up to you, is it? It's up to, up to us to pay attention to what God is saying carefully. Anyway, we are slowly nearing the end. After the breakfast, we've got another number. This time, it's Jesus asking Peter three times if he loves him. Now, I'm sure that you've, you've heard before that Jesus asking Peter three times if he loves him mirrors Peter denying, three time, Peter denying Jesus three times before his crucifixion. It's kind of restoration of, of Peter that Jesus is, is doing here. And um, what I find beautiful about this exchange is that clearly Peter's love is weak. Again, he, but Jesus accepts it as genuine. That clearly you know, Peter loves Jesus, but he failed him. Yet Jesus accepts it as, as genuine. And our love for Jesus can be immature, but it can still be real. Now, on the outside, two people might look the same. 
Sometimes those who don't believe in Jesus can act even better than us sometimes. But God's not waiting for us to be perfect before he's happy. No, he enjoys us even even when our love is still weak, even when our love is still immature. Now, of course, we can actively rebel against God, and he's certainly not happy about that. But he is pleased when we genuinely try to follow him, even when we stumble and fall. Now, the other side of the coin, of course, is that Jesus expects our love to slowly mature and bear fruit. And he tells, he, as he tells Peter, that if, love, if his love is genuine, that it should eventually show himself in the action, in the way he does for, for others, how he treats the church, how he feeds the, the lambs, that he accepts the love as genuine, but there's expectation that it won't stay weak, that, that, that it, the love would grow, that it would become more and more mature, and it would manifest itself, that eventually Peter would not be betraying Jesus all the time. But if he does betray, if he stumbles, Jesus forgives, and he still receives his love. But of course, the goal is that our love should continue to, to, to grow to its maturity. And finally, Following Jesus is costly. Jesus says to Peter that following him will cost him his freedom and even his life. But Jesus doesn't just say this to Peter. He, he says something similar to all of us. He tells us that we should carefully count the cost and that we should be ready to, even, to lay down everything, including our life, if we want to follow him. Now, do you remember the MasterCard adverts that, that, um, where it would be listing the costs of, of, different, of different items? Now, maybe we should do something like that as the Cap Money course. It would ha- help us with that, list, listing all our, all our expenses. We should take account of our lives, the cost that it takes to follow Jesus. But our conclusion is that to, follow, to be with Jesus and to follow him is priceless. It is, it is worth following Jesus despite the cost, but we should be ready. We should expect that there is a cost to following Jesus, as, as, G, as Jesus clearly tells Peter and to us. And the final, final point that I want to make is that I want to contrast, um, I want to contrast between what happened before the, the resurrection and what happens after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, in John chapter 13, Peter told Jesus that he would follow him and even die for him. But Jesus responded to him that he will not be able to follow him. Peter says, I will follow you. Jesus says, no, you, will, you are not able to, to, to follow me. This was, this was just before Jesus' crucifixion. So just maybe a week before this event. But... Um, but now we see that Jesus is telling Peter that he should follow him. So what has changed? Again, we've got this week earlier, Peter says, I will follow you. He said, you can't. And now, now Jesus is telling Peter, follow me. In fact, he repeats it a few times. He says, follow me. Again, what has changed? What has happened? As Jesus explains during the Last Supper, that before the resurrection, Jesus was with the disciples. 
But after his death and resurrection, he will be not just with them, but he will put his spirit inside of them. There is a difference between having an external instruction from Jesus and letting him inside of your life. Now, the resurrected Jesus can empower you beyond your natural ability and strength. That's what we see here, that in his natural ability, Peter was not able to follow Jesus. But now, now after the resurrection, Jesus says, you can follow me now. You've got my spirit. As Pastor Phil said earlier, he breathed his spirit onto the disciples in the previous chapter. He says, receive my spirit, receive my strength, my empowering we can follow Jesus now, despite our natural weaknesses. Again, Jesus is assuring him now, because that through his strength, through his spirit, Peter will be able to follow him. So the question is, have you encountered the resurrected Jesus? Not just, not just Jesus from the outside, just Jesus' teachings and instructions, but have you encountered the resurrected Jesus, the power of Jesus being inside of you and enabling you to, to live for him, to follow him. And I, I need to experience more of that. I'm so aware of how much more I need that empowering in my own life. Now, this is the end. I'll have a little summary for you. It's always good to refresh our memories. The Bible talks how important it is just to keep some of the things in mind. And there's few things that we mentioned today about encountering Jesus again, about honoring Jesus, recognizing him in different ways, and just um, by the passion for Jesus. So I'll give you a just a few moments, a minute or two, just to reflect on some of the things that, that we talked about this morning. Again, there might be just one thing or two things that, that maybe touched your heart, that, that the Spirit highlighted to you as, as we discussed John chapter 21. And you might want to bring that before the Lord. Just thank Him that He's so willing to encounter you. Ask Him for more passion for Jesus, for more discernment to see him working in your life. And the, the band will slowly play. I will pray in a moment, but just want to give you that minute or two just to reflect on some of the things that we mentioned this morning. Jesus, we are so thankful that you're willing to meet with us. He's so willing to draw near to us. And we want to express that willingness from our side as well, that we want to encounter you again, Jesus. We know how much, how much, how much of a difference you bring into our lives. We want to encounter you again. The, the risen Lord, the resurrected Jesus. We want to experience your power 
in in our lives again, Jesus. Jesus, this this morning we we honor you. We honor you for who you are and what you've done. We say you are our Lord, Jesus. We, We submit to you. Would you help us to, to know you more in the, in the busyness of our work, the busyness of our family lives, in the midst of all the, all the things that we're going through in life, would you help us to recognize your presence more and more? We know that, that you are near to us. Help us to see you, to hear your voice better. We're willing to let go of the past and embrace the new things that you have for us. To encounter you in a new way. To hear your voice in a new way. And Jesus, we say we do love you. Sometimes through our actions it might not look like it, but we do love you, Jesus. Our love for you is real. And we thank you that you receive it. We thank you. That you receive our, our weak love. That you can see that, that what, what's in our hearts is, is real. That it's genuine. So thank you for receiving our, our weak love. That you are you're pleased with us. That you enjoy the relationship that, that we have with you. Thank you. Receive your affirmation this, this morning. Thank you that you receive our, our love, but we pray that our love may grow more and more. We want to, we want to be passionate about you, Jesus, that our, all our words and actions would display our love. It would not be just con- confined to the inside of us, just to our hearts, but our, our whole lives would display the passion that we have for you, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, release new passion for Jesus into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.